Well, Happy New Year, Renu. <laughs> Happy New Year, Declan. We're nearly there. Last day of 2020. A crazy year. It's uh, one that we will remember for many reasons, I think. We sure will. So it's nice to sit here uh, on New Year's Eve with you in our little studio at Peter Mac and do a kind of an end of year reflection. That's our remit today, I think, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's been, from from our point of view, it's just been one of those crazy years that, um, but podcasting has definitely been a highlight. Yeah, so uh, that's what we want to do today. We want to look back at the our little GU cast that, that we've run since March of this year, which coincides, of course, with chaos all over the world, with COVID yeah. hitting around the world in February and March. Um, but we'll talk a little about that, but we'll talk about all the other fun stuff we enjoyed on GU cast as well this year. Yeah. So... Welcome, everybody. Thank you to our regular listeners, I suppose we should say as well, for supporting us this year. We've had lots of uh, good feedback. I mean, you never know when you start one of these things and you post it, or, you know, are you the only two people out yeah. there? But we've had great feedback from from listeners around the world. And um, so we thank you uh, from myself and Renew for listening to us, for putting up with us and for all your great suggestions this year. We've had great suggestions from our listeners and that's really driven a lot of our content and the guests that we've enjoyed. So thank you uh, to the listeners for uh, listening to us and for uh, suggesting content for this podcast. And please continue to do that uh, for next year. We, We really value that type of feedback, don't we? Yeah, it's great to get that feedback because I think when you're actually doing a podcast, we don't really think of it speaking to to an audience I mean yeah. it's re- we just so enjoy speaking to our guests uh, and we've had some wonderful guests um, so when you hear some feedback after the event it's it's sort of really nice to know what you're doing right and what you could do better and it's um, uh, definitely a good way to improve so before we go and and pick out some of our highlights and listen back to some of the segments that we enjoyed or that we found very striking some of them we, we, you couldn't really enjoy describe them as enjoyable because some of the stuff we listened to was difficult uh, to listen to uh, but before we do that we thought we'd just go back a little bit um, uh, for those of you who maybe weren't with us from the very start just to uh, reflect on where we came from so we posted our first GU cast on the 27th of March um, 2020 which of course was just not long after COVID was getting going around the place and we had a this didn't just come out of COVID, this podcast. We had an interest in in doing a podcast uh, for a couple of reasons. One was that we could see that podcasting as a medium was becoming very, very popular all around the world in the same way as blogging became popular 10 years ago and social media became popular 10 years ago. We could see that podcasting was on the rise. Lots of different reasons for that. Um, big players like Spotify invested very heavily in spot in uh, blogging over uh, podcasting over the past two years. Uh, so therefore, there was a lot more content becoming available. And technology changed, of course. It wasn't just that everyone's got a, a smart device that can freely uh, host all your podcasts as you do your exercise or go to work or whatever that might be. But also uh, in, in cars, cars suddenly had these... Um, a mirroring app so that you could very easily mirror your Apple or your Spotify or your Google podcast or whatever. So people really tended to listen to podcasts in their cars in a way which didn't happen uh, two or three years ago. So for all those reasons, um, as we've done over the past 10 years dabbling with social media, we thought podcasting was a medium uh, for 2020 and beyond. So we thought there might be some interest in having a GU-focused podcast. So that was our initial thoughts, I suppose, this time last year. We thought it would be a project for 2020. Let's see, can we start a podcast? And I remember, Renew, back in those days when we used to get a lot of visitors through Peter Mac, a lot of of international key opinion leaders would be passing through uh, Australia, passing through Melbourne, and they'd come here as visiting professor and sit in the MDT and do lectures. And we thought, oh, wow, you know, uh, it's great to have these people here. If we could sit them down for a podcast, then we could share their, uh, their, their wisdom with the rest 
rest of the world. And, and I think that was one of the, the big reasons I thought that GUCAS could be a nice platform to share the visiting professors and the other people who come through the, the hospital. Uh, so I must say we've had zero <laughs> physical people yeah. on the, uh, you know, visiting professors on the podcast. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think that's where the podcasting takes it to another level, because if you if you go and listen to these amazing KOLs um, at a conference, you hear about their thoughts on the on the on the key topics but the banter is sort of missing um but you know that's what I've really enjoyed out of the podcasting is that casual banter you really get to know them that's really true because, uh, of course, we, and we'll come to conferences later on, but conference coverage like in the in the media, especially the, the kind of professional media, these big websites that we know that cover conferences, uh, do tend to have a quite staid uh, communication of the messages from whatever plenary and so on. So that you're right, the podcast does allow people to open up a bit and we have set it at a ridiculously casual tone <laughs> all year, haven't we? Um, so yeah, how much editing have you had to do, Declan? Well, zero, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and we've, we've talked about that in, uh, in our little article that we um, contributed to in the BJUI about technology, and we, we can talk about that later on as pod well. Pod Save maybe. the Queen. Yeah, Pod Save the Queen, <laughs> and, and well done to the BJUI and the Burst team for posting that little piece on podcasting in September this year. Um, but yeah, March 27th, uh, we were always going to start around that time, but we were sort of pushed forward because uh, that was going to be the EAU. Uh, the EAU meeting was yeah. supposed to happen uh, at that time in Amsterdam. And we had a, a big paper from our group here um, uh, in Australia, a big multi-center trial called the Pro-PSMA trial that was due to uh, read out in the main plenary, the breaking news plenary at the EAU uh, on that weekend uh, and was to be published at the same time in, in a major journal. So the publication went ahead in The Lancet uh, and our very first episode then was around that time. So we thought, okay, instead of being at the EAU and, and Michael Hoffman, our colleague here, presenting it at the EAU, instead we, we had our first podcast and we featured the Pro-PSMA paper. So that was that was an enjoyable way, I suppose, of trying to get the message out about the paper, wasn't it? Absolutely. And uh, and it was Michael and Caroline Moore uh, who joined us for that very first podcast. So that, that was definitely a memorable right. one. Yeah. And Caroline wrote uh, an editorial in The Lancet about it. So it was great to have Caroline on as yeah. well, an old friend of ours uh, dialing in from UCL. Um, and so since that time, it's been very interesting to look at some of the data, some of the statistics about the podcast. And uh, Renew, we've got it here in front of us, but for example, um, more than half of our listeners are from outside uh, the Asia-Pacific region region so uh, 59% of our listeners are from outside Asia Pacific most that's mostly Europe and North America um, and so that's been interesting as well and I think that's been reflected in some of the feedback we get that the majority of our listeners are from our, a global audience really um, and we get many th- thousands of downloads every month now and we'll come later on and, and we'll tell you who was our what was our most popular podcast for the year which surprised me I must say it was a great podcast it was a great it, podcast but I, I, I was very interested and we can speculate about who who yeah. won the award for uh, most listened to most downloaded podcast yeah. of the year uh, later on and uh, here we are 45 46 episodes later yes 45 episodes later yeah there you go incredible so Let's uh, go and talk about some of the important stuff we covered this year. And we've picked out sort of four main areas and we've gone and pulled out some audio from these topics that we spoke about. And um, and in between them, we'll have a chat about other highlights. But let's go to the, the first one, which I suppose dominated the early period, didn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we I, I think when we started this podcast, we, we had no idea how life-altering this pandemic would become. Um, but we did have snippets of, of people's experiences from around the world and, and some of them were really difficult to hear and I think, uh, I think that's 
sort of one of the highlights, but yeah. one of the difficult highlights. It was really, and uh, that was April. That was the whole month yeah. of April for us, really, once we'd launched the podcast. And then you could see all these news coming in from Italy, in particular, these terrible scenes from the north of Italy, terrible stories about hospitals being overwhelmed and so on. Yeah. And then New York around the same time, London, um, uh, Spain. Some of these countries were really crippled by the initial wave of COVID. And here in Australia, uh, we had successfully closed the borders actually first of february i just read yesterday we closed the border to china which certainly mitigated our impact the, the first wave impact yeah uh, and it came a bit later then with with waves coming in from the u.s and europe but back in april we spoke to some of our friends um, around the world and what i want to do now is play you some snippets from some of our podcasts in april where we hear from uh, Stacey Loeb in New York, Alberto Briganti in Milan, Maria Riabal in Barcelona, and Ben Chalicum uh, in London, uh, talking a little bit about their experiences back in April. Well, it's really very apocalyptic out on the streets. It's very, very empty. The stores are closed. There's barely any cars. There's some people walking around in masks or other strange contraptions over their face because there aren't enough masks. So there's people with garbage bags over them and, you know, various other designs. So that's um, a bit different. So residents are pretty much asked to stay home, except in case of whether they are on call and they need to help. But pretty much we are using... We are resident-free at the moment, and so we are like pretty much average five staff in the department, while usually we are 23. In Spain now, Chirocoli, uh, the peak is on, and uh, we have been in a absolutely lockdown of everything, no schools, no universities, no uh, shops, no nothing. So Barcelona, for example, uh, has a completely different face with you no know, people in the street, etc. We had some amazing things in the last couple of weeks. People were sent for just surveillance CT scans, and they've sent me a, 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 an email saying, Ben, uh, yeah, the, the, there's no sign of metastasis, but you might be interested to know that they've got a bilateral signs of COVID in the lungs. The UK is currently on 51,000, with uh, so sadly 5,370 odd deaths. So that was Ben Chalicum back in April, yeah. and he uh, he was clearly saying how shocking it was back in April um, with these 50-odd thousand incidents and 5,000 deaths. But imagine if we had Ben uh, now, and we were going to say to him back in April, by the end of the year, Ben, by, by New Year's Eve, where we stand today, there will be 2.4 million cases having been diagnosed in the UK with more than 71,000 deaths. And guess what? It's only getting worse as yeah. we speak here in the New Year's Eve, uh, looking at the London scene, more lockdowns going on today. Um, so th- that was very shocking in April and um, I suppose it's still very reflective that we're, we're clearly not out of this yet, are we? Absolutely. Actually, one of the most sobering things uh, I heard in that podcast with Stacey was uh, her, uh, her talking about her experiences being deployed to the COVID wards. Yeah. Uh, both her and her husband, and um, that was just... And all the PPE. This was very shocking, but we're, yeah. we're, we're very used to it. We're not as shocked by it now, but it is still shocking that we're... We're not out of it um, yeah. just yet, but um, maybe we'll get back to that later on. But um, yeah, that was clearly a very emotional time with those podcasts in April, dialing out to our friends and getting a, a frontline feel for what we were seeing in the television and reading the newspapers. But to hear our friends, our urology friends around the world describing the on-the-ground scenes was quite yeah. shocking, wasn't it? And we've certainly been through our own challenges uh, here in Australia and, and certainly through that second wave in Melbourne when we went under totally strict lockdown um, and just sort of coming out of it now. 
But we did around that time have a run a series of podcasts where we talked a bit about other stuff that was happening around COVID. It wasn't just all the doom and gloom and the chaos of closing down services. You picked out a few highlights. Renu. That's right. I, I love the the silver linings one we did with Matt Cooperberg, Cooperberg from UCSF. Uh, Ben Davies joined us at some point talking about various important stuff. Uh, like gardening and wine <laughs> and, yeah. Well, something about tomatoes ripening at different That's rates. Right. Yeah, yeah. Making shallot, all his favourite stuff right. he does on Twitter. That yeah. was that cheered us up a bit. Yeah, and also the initiatives that came out of COVID. You know, all the telehealth opportunities that, you know, suddenly were forced to go live. Um, we had a, a great podcast with, uh, with Archie Fernando. She gave us some great right. um, pearls on how to conduct a good telehealth consultation we we heard a lot about the the other sort of educational initiatives like um mri pro yeah um, jeremy grummet on that's right that's right yeah. the COVID lecture series from ucsf oh we yeah. had lindsay hamson yeah. talking about that which is still going that's been a very that's important right. part and, of COVID. and actually a lot of local trainees have given me some feedback that the COVID lecture series have been have been extremely valuable um so congratulations to them for continuing that and of course, obviously, physical scientific meetings were totally disrupted by this. All of a sudden, it is kind of impossible vista that stuff would be cancelled yeah. literally overnight. Uh, all the big meetings, of course, took a hit. And the ones that were earlier on in, in the pandemic were just abandoned. But I suppose later on, people were putting on hybrid, me- well, uh, virtual meetings uh, because they had time to get organised. But I remember back at the very start, uh, the USANS, the Urological Society of Australia New Zealand annual scientific meeting was supposed to take place in Sydney, wasn't it, back in March? And then, bang, it just went wallop. That's right. I made it to Sydney. Yeah, Yo, you got there, <laughs> I remember. You flew up there on a Friday afternoon, and by the yeah, time you'd flown from I Melbourne to Melbourne... I checked my email when yeah. we landed, and it was cancelled. cancelled. Yeah. And literally, international guests had flown in from all over the world, arriving that's in Sydney right. on Friday, bang, I'm sorry, it's cancelled. Yeah. That's how sudden things changed, wasn't it? And and one of the other highlights of the year was we did get to speak to um, a couple of the big uh, leaders in urology around the world, a couple of the presidents, and one of whom was um, Stephen Mark, uh, president of USANS, and I remember him reflecting about that that very difficult decision they made. They were ch- It was changing from Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Thursday, and bang, Friday they realised this meeting has to be cancelled. The whole exhibition's been built, everything, guests have arrived from all over the, the, the world, bang, it's cancelled. That's how serious it was. bold decision, but needed. And, and the leaders have had to, of course, uh, absorb a lot of the chaos of cancelling meetings, but also supporting their members and their trainees, trying to organise uh, exams and, and applications to training programmes around the world. So um, it's, been, it's been seismic, I suppose, some of the fallout from that. And when we had Stephen Mark, who's um, from Christchurch, he's our current president of USANS, um, one of the things we did in that podcast, which was one of my highlights of the year, I must say, was we, we went out to a whole bunch of trainees around the place in the few days before we were due to speak to Stephen, and we asked them to send us some thoughts uh, of how COVID had impacted them and this was maybe halfway through the year so it was pretty chaotic and we heard really emotional stories from trainees about the way their exam preparation was um, disrupted or they couldn't do any surgery and they were worried about their competencies Uh, they were trying to get onto the training program but the applications had been deferred they couldn't get a job for next year and so on but I want to play you one of the clips that we played to Stephen Mark from a trainee who was very affected from a personal point of view due to the disruption in in travel and all that around Australia Uh, major stresses are being separated from my family. Um, I can't go home and my husband can't even come and visit me here, uh, even if he quarantines. He just won't be let in by the government. Um, Since February, uh, I've seen him for a total of seven days. How can we fix that? Some things we can't fix. We can just listen and reflect and realise 
that is unfortunately the life we have and it, it's tough and uh, it's we our job is to fix things and it's really hard to hear that and not be able to fix it yeah it was wasn't it renew yeah, and, and we touched on this on another podcast as well when we spoke to the heads of units. Yeah, there was yourself, there was Nathan Lorenchuk uh, and Damien Bolton, and we talked about the, the effect that this was having on our trainees, and you could really see it. It was, it was a palpable effect. Um, and it's not just the impact on training, but also the stress of them having to go into a COVID ward to see a referral, um, you know, the stress of them passing something on to their families and loved ones. It was a really difficult time. Yeah, and I think all credit to the the big leaders. They've done a really good job, I think, uh, by and large, supporting trainees and supporting everyone as we try and get through COVID while managing the chaos of their own normal businesses being disrupted by having no physical meetings and so on. And, and Stephen, Mark and co. Uh, and our own team here at USANS in Australia and New Zealand have done a great job. And around that time, that was August, um, one of the other uh, leaders we spoke to was my old friend who I admire so much, Tim O'Brien, That's right. uh, from Guy's Hospital in London, who uh, became president of BAUS, the British Association of Urologic Surgeons, back in June. And again, that would normally be at their annual scientific meeting in the UK summer, and he would take up his two-year term there. But of course, their meeting was abandoned. He still took it up, but he did it virtually. And we had a fantastic podcast with Tim uh, talking about his vision for BAUS and, and all sorts of stuff. That's we? right. It was just off the back of his uh, really great presidential address um wasn't it was yeah he had done an online he recorded a, right. a video which we actually posted for him uh, which was going to be i suppose what he would have done if he was standing up at the conference speaking to the members about his vision for the following couple of years yeah and of course we we really honed in on one of the things he said so yeah we've taken the clip out of the podcast where we uh, we talked to tim about one of his big visions for what he's still going to do for bouse uh, over this disrupted period maybe we need to spend more time trying to understand what would make urology the natural home for talented women who want to do surgery. What a powerful statement to make. And we are totally with you. How do you plan to do this? That's what we want to try and create is just where women who are thinking about surgery, you know, wouldn't make a decision about surgery without considering urology. It's not trying to force everyone to do something they don't want to do. Clearly people have to do things that they're passionate about, but I'm thinking about doing surgery. I definitely am going to look at urology. You know, would be would be what I hope people would have a conversation about. The natural home for talented women who want to do surgery will probably be a better natural home for everybody who wants to do surgery. It will just be a better environment. Yeah, that was a really enjoyable podcast, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think that was one of the, the most well-received aspects of his speech as well. Yeah, it was. And it, we got a great reaction to that on social media when we started pushing out Tim's messages for him. And again, great credit to him and these other leaders in urology who've managed to still try and keep a focus on things they set out to achieve while also managing the chaos of uh, the COVID disruption. Uh, but of course, being strong feminists uh, here yeah. on this program, we were very, very happy to broadcast and amplify Tim's message about women in surgery. And he had a delightful way of portraying that as the natural home for talented women who want to do surgery. Any, any talented people who want to do surgery correct that's right so that was tim o'brien back in august that was really very enjoyable indeed um the other uh, sort of theme we ran uh, we didn't plan that theme it just happened like that was we spoke to some of the big editors of the urology journals um, around right. that time as well didn't we yeah um 
Well, they all newly appointed editors. Well, the, yeah, that was, the, I suppose, the That's excuse, right. wasn't yeah. it? Because it's not often that you have a brand new editor in one of the major journals. It tends to be once every, you know, eight years or yeah. so when a, an editor changes over. And it's a really big deal for the journal. The direction often changes. whole new editorial team comes in and so on. And um, it's a great time to talk about their vision for the future, just like Tim O'Brien, um, you know, talked about in his, in his address. Um, all three of these editors... Uh, you know, gave us a, a great overview of what, what they had in mind uh, for the future of their journals. Yeah, that's right. And the first one we spoke to was uh, Professor Freddie Hamdi um, uh, from Oxford, of course, world-famous academic surgeon from Oxford who's led all sorts of very high-impact stuff uh, over the years. Uh, and he ascended to the editor-in-chief role at the BJUI, the British Journal of Urology International, uh, mid this year, taking over from Prokar Descupta, um, who I had worked with as associate editor over the previous eight years. So this transition uh, it was a very important one for the journal, and we were all very excited about that transition because Freddie Hamdi is such a tour of force anyway. So we had a really good podcast with Freddie, really focusing on his vision for the journal, which was a, a really enjoyable thing to hear. Let's hear a little bit from Freddie. In your opening editorial this month, you, you spoke a lot about your vision for the journal and you, you described it as, uh, as, as being both a vehicle and a home. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by this? I would like to see, uh, at least it's my, it's my humble ambition, that people consider the BJUI as a safe and proud home where they can put their best work and their best research. And people should know that. And people should have an affection for the journal, not just use it for a line on their CV. Yeah, yeah. inspirational, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it was great to hear him talk about that. And the, the next uh, one we did, um, Nathan Lorenchuk joined us for the one with Mike Leverage. Yeah, he did, of course. And we'll, we'll come back later on and, and thank some of our regulars. But Nathan Lorenchuk, our colleague here at Peter Mac, was a really good regular uh, a panelist on our <laughs> podcast here in the studio. Um, and the other editor that uh, assumed the role around that time was Mike Leverage from Toronto, uh, who became editor-in-chief of the CUA Journal, the Canadian Urologic Association Journal. And he, again, he's a great old friend of ours, but himself and Nathan had trained together in Toronto uh, 10 years ago um, and I'm not going to play you any of what Mike said but it's a really good listen if you want to go back and listen to it but we t- we talked didn't we about the uh, opening editorial uh, the title of his opening right. editorial and uh, and we we reflected a bit on this with Nathan I have never liked reading journal articles <laughs> <laughs> now I have to admit uh, a slight uh, bias and and of course love and affection for Mike we did our fellowship together in Toronto an SUA fellowship and uh, I would agree with that. He did hate reading journal articles, but Mike would never say this, but he's probably one of the best writers of journal articles. He has a really incredible gift and talent for writing, which uh, I can only aspire to. And if anyone wants to learn how to write, just read some of Mike Leverage's articles. That is so true. <laughs> he went into a little bit more about why it was and what it was that he didn't like about reading journals and, and how he sort of hoped to change that by sort of, uh, you know, having a broader um, kind of... Uh, I, I guess forum uh, for the journal and and having a broader audience that he that he would intend these uh, articles to to kind of reach out to and and you wouldn't think it'd be a good mission statement for an aspiring uh, <laughs> editor to say I don't like reading journal articles but that's what we liked about it and his disruptive view um, and of course it reflected a lot that we love about Canadian urology uh, and we spoke to a bunch of Canadians this year of course with strong links to Canada Canada and Australia because they have quite a practical approach as well they're very good at um, having practice oriented public 
communications and guidance and so on and, and yeah. CUAJ will do that but he spoke a lot about social media in that podcast and I'd encourage anyone who doesn't know Mike Leverage to go and stick that on for 30 minutes and while you go for your, your walk or your run we posted it in September okay. uh, 2020 and have a really a really good listen to I think one of the most interesting and thoughtful peoples in urology. Absolutely and Nathan is completely right he's a very gifted writer and that opening editorial was was really such a great read. And then within a week or two, we spoke to another Canadian new editor-in-chief, and this was a, a brand new journal. It was the yes. SUI journal, isn't it? Right? That's right. And we spoke to Peter Black, um, who's very well known as a key opinion leader in the world of urology. And um, uh, Peter um, assumed this position of uh, editor-in-chief of the inaugural SUI journal. SIU. SIU, sorry. <laughs> SIU. Uh, SIU journal in yeah. September, October, around the time of their virtual congress. That's right. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. And I think we spoke with him on the day that the uh, conference was starting and the first edition was going live. Um, and, you know, uh, the, S, uh, the, the journal, they've had a link to other journals over the years the BJUI in the world, but they decided to make up their own journal. And again, I liked this sort of disruptive thought from Peter Black when he spoke a bit about um, open access journals. And uh, here's what he had to say about publishers. Um, you know, we all as reviewers and, and, you know, different editorial boards were on everything, we invest so much energy into these uh, journals. And ultimately, the benefit of that flows back to a publisher <laughs> somewhere. And in this case, it's really, you know, it's all staying within the organization, within urology. And it's all, you know, it's like this big sort of team effort with authors, publishers, uh, reviewers. Uh, and there's no one at the back end who's sort of taking the profits off the top. I think that's important to recognize. Yeah, and both those Canadian journals that we spoke, or Canadian editors that we spoke to in those few weeks, you know, reminded us that CUA Journal and SIU Journal uh, are both um, uh, open access journals with no article processing fees. Yes. And of course, the open access model is coming in around the place, but usually the publishers are finding their way of extracting a pound of flesh and, you know, the the the, uh, the authors are having to pay article processing charges. can be thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars once you've had your paper accepted to, just to get it published. So the cost goes on to those who've actually done the work. Um, but these two journals, CUA Journal and SIU Journal, have no article processing fees and they're open access. So we love yeah. that. And they, they spoke very passionately about that yeah absolutely and it's a it's a it's a different challenge starting a, a journal from scratch and the SIU journals now released a couple of editions and uh, we wish them all the very best uh, in the future so that's three out of the four highlight areas that uh, we wanted to bring you. We'll come to the fourth one in a second, which there is we, we themed this one Practice Changing Trials, didn't we? Um, but before that, you had a couple of other snippets you wanted yeah, to chat about. Yeah, I wanted about to mention it because we don't normally have surgical randomised controlled trials, and we had one, uh, the one that was led by Jim Porter on the, uh, the technique of controlling DVC and uh, what impact that has on continence. Uh, and it turns out it's the ligation and suspension method uh, that has the, the greatest impact on continents. So uh, this was published in the BJUI and we got Jim to come and speak about it, didn't we? But, you know, a lot of our conversation was about, well done for running a simple yes. surgical randomised control trial on a point of technique, something we all That's talk right. about every Absolutely. day in the operating room. Yeah. Uh, but surgeons, we often get criticised for not actually doing um, properly controlled trials to determine which is the best thing for our patients. So yeah. we really love that. It was worth them. Um, and actually, yeah. I noticed today in European Urology, uh, that John Davis um, has just posted a, a words of wisdom in European Urology talking about that exact trial. And again, complimenting Jim and co for running a, a very nice uh, on a on a shoestring surgical randomized control trial. So more of that. If you publish a surgical <laughs> randomized trial, we will uh, right. devote a whole podcast to you next year. And that was a great podcast because we also uh, talked about Proximy, the tele mentoring um, initiative 
and that that Jim Porter um, uh, sort of took on board, and uh, we had the CEO of Proximy, Nadine Haram, uh, join us. And yeah. She was fantastic. She, she was fantastic. And the and the technology has really taken off. Um, Ben Chalikan's now done a few cases and and tweeted about it, and um, you know I think that's it's another uh, positive or silver lining that's come out of COVID. Yeah, and it's so good to see a, a young female surgeon like Nadine, who's a practicing uh, plastic, plastic reconstruction, yeah, yeah. In, in guys in St Thomas's, yeah. with this huge tech startup that is going gangbusters. So yeah, go Nadine. Um, so the final area we wanted to just uh, reflect on and play some audio from, we call this the practice changing trials section. And, and that was the most enjoyable part of the year. And I suppose it's one of the, the good things that was maintained this year, Renew, is that stuff didn't completely stop. People were still, you know, p- doing research. And we actually managed to still recruit in here to a whole bunch of trials that we ran during COVID. But some imp- very important papers, of course, came out this year. And as they came out, we a uh, dedicated podcast to some of the trials that were presented or published that we felt were really practice changing. And it was really enjoyable to be able to reach out to some of the key players in these trials and um, and have a chat with them on the podcast. And yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I agree. That was definitely a highlight of the year. And uh, we've had three or four uh, very significant practice changing trials. Um, and we spoke to key authors uh, on all of them. Yeah, and one of them was in the middle of the year around the time of ASCO. It was one of our meeting highlight um, uh, podcasts where actually all of a sudden bladder cancer took the limelight, didn't it? First plenary in ASCO. Uh, that was that was a, a, a great uh, time for, for urethelial cancer. It's been a good year for urethelial cancer. It has. Lots of highlights. And, and really the, one of the blockbuster um, uh, papers that eventuated from that ASCO plenary uh, was the Javelin trial uh, led by Petros Grivas, who Petros came and joined us on the podcast um, uh, to talk about this trial. But uh, please go back and have a listen to it. But it's already featured in a number of the um, end of year highlights. I've seen people talking about this year that the Javelin trial was a proper practice changing trial. So we won't go into the detail of it, but this was patients with metastatic urothelial cancer who had had chemo and they had either had a good response or stable disease on chemo. And we know if you just follow those patients they're destined to fail. Within three months or six months, their scans are becoming positive again. Um, and they were randomized to just have standard surveillance versus um, a value map. Uh, so an, a, it's called switch maintenance, the idea that you had your chemo, and then if you've done well, you switch over onto a value map as a maintenance approach. Um, and that's what was presented in the ASCO plenary. And to much headlines, it showed that there was a significant overall survival benefit by this switch maintenance approach. So that is going to emerge into guidelines very quickly. And here's just what Petros Grievous had to say about it uh, when we were talking about the primary endpoint of overall survival. They had a significant, uh, I would argue, both statistically speaking and clinically speaking, significant overall survival benefit. Overall survival was the primary endpoint of the study, and the study met that primary endpoint. As I mentioned, the hazard ratio was 0.69 in all comers, um, with a median overall survival exceeding 21 months with Avelumab and the median overall survival about uh, uh, 14 months or so with best supportive care alone. So it was a median overall survival difference of 7.1 months in all comers uh, with um, um, a hazard ratio, as, as I mentioned, that was below 0.7. And uh, this uh, hazard ratio was actually 0.56 for patients with PD-1 high tumors. 
So that was Petros, and I should say also her studio guest that day was one of my favorite studio guests of the year, and it was Andrew Weichart. Oh, he was fantastic. Medical oncologist. He from had cycled uh, in. He had cycled <laughs> in, that's right, as he likes to do. So Andrew's a, a very well-known GU medical oncologist at our uh, um, neighboring institute out here, the Austin Hospital in Melbourne, and he came in and, and spoke to Petros about this, and it was a really enjoyable podcast. But there you go, that was a big practice-changing trial, and it and was really, really good to have Petros on Absolutely, to speak about and, the, and the, um, the paper was published in New England Journal of Medicine in September. Just and after that. That's yeah. right. And and Tom Powles was first author on the paper. And uh, although we didn't manage to get him into the studio, we did speak to him uh, during the ANZ UP uh, virtual conference, uh, which was which was really good. And uh, and Tom is actually a key player in, in another GU podcasting group, the Euro Amigos. Yeah, Euro Amigos have done really yeah, well this year. They're right. one of my favourite podcasts. And, and you've been chatting to Brian Rennie, who runs that with Tom, yeah, haven't you? Right. And um, I think we're going we're gonna to propose that we have a, a Euro Amigos meets the GU cast um, series next that year sometime. That would be great. It will be fun. They are fun. <laughs> so Euro Amigos, please go and g- give them a listen if you're yeah, interested. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. Um, and one of the other trials we thought we would highlight again for end of year was the Profound Study, which made a lot of headlines this year. Um, but I, you know, as with a lot of these trials, they do create waves and uh, attract some criticism. So profound was um, randomized trial of olaparib in patients with a DNA repair defect. It already had a New England Journal publication uh, last year, uh, and then on the overall survival endpoint had another New England Journal publication. So obviously big publication. Um, and in this study of patients with progressive metastatic CRPC with DNA repair defects, they were randomized to either get um, ongoing novel um, uh, AOR-targeted agents like Abby or Enza uh, or uh, have Olaparib. Um, so the, the control arm did attract a lot of controversy because these patients had already been on an AOR-targeted agent, novel hormonal therapy or NHT, as you'll hear it referred to in a moment. Um, and so the idea that they would just continue on those agents, a dealer's choice, if you like, uh, attracted some criticism because some people felt, well, look, they were obviously just going to stay failing. You could have done something different like sort of, you know, platinum-based chemotherapy or something different. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people criticized the control arm. And look, that's always going to be the case in, in important trials like this. So we discussed this and we were it was a really good podcast. We had Neeraj Agarwal, who's one of the uh, authors on this study, very well-known GU medical oncologist who joined here in studio with um, Arun Azad, one of our own medical oncologists. Um, who was another great regular this year, actually. Absolutely. Wasn't and Neeraj was particularly good on this podcast because we presented some controversies to him and I thought he, he remained very diplomatic <laughs> and gave us a very <laughs> balanced view, didn't he? He did. So I'm going to play you the clip where we talked a bit about the control arm. Uh, and then I played for Neeraj um, a clip from um, Vinay Prasad, who runs <laughs> a very big podcast called Plenary. And he's often quite critical. He, he's a, um, a medical oncologist in the US. He's often quite critical of trial design. But here's, here's the banter we had about that. So I personally think alternative NHT is a appropriate control because it reflects a patient population which will be eligible to get this control on. Otherwise, we will never be able to complete trial in castrate resistance setting. Of course, the control arm is often the most interesting part of any pivotal randomized trial, isn't it? And uh, and uh, one of the aspects of criticism that we we noted, uh, Neeraj, was from your oncology colleague, um, uh, Dr. Vinay Prasad, who, of course, often has strong views on this. And on his uh, plenary podcast, uh, he had this uh, to say about the control arm of Profound. So that's what you need to know. Control arm, deeply inappropriate. Um I would say almost delinquently inappropriate control arm, just bad medicine control arm. (laughs) 
Was it a bit cheeky playing that for Neeraj? He seemed to take it very well. <laughs> he but did uh, take it very well. I was very impressed. He was familiar with Vinay's uh, <laughs> thoughts on this. But that's another quite entertaining podcast if you're interested in oncology. Vinay Prasad's podcast called uh, Plenary Podcast. We love plugging those who we admire out here. Um, and that was a, a very interesting thing. And so we'll continue to do that next year for sure. It was a very important part, I think, of the podcast this year was being able to talk about these pivotal trials, these practice-changing trials and, and so on. And there were a bunch more uh, in, back in, this, in, the, in our list of episodes that we did this year that I think people might enjoy if they go back and listen to them. That's right. And 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 the other one we have is, and, and this is a trial over a decade in the making, is is the RAVES trial. Uh, and this is one of my favourites because uh, I loved having Andrew Kneebone as a guest. Uh, he's one of the most down-to-earth and humble people I've ever met. And uh, that was a great podcast chatting with him. It was. So this is the podcast we posted back in early October where we interviewed Andrew Nebone and that was another big week. That that week at the uh, end of September was a big week uh, for right. prostate cancer and radiotherapy because no no less than 3 randomized control trials in the Lancet were published in the Lancet yes. or Lancet Oncology in the one episode in the one day um, uh, raves radicals and GTOG 17 all were uh, reading out the primary endpoint and these were all trials of patients who'd had a radical prostatectomy uh, who were deemed at a higher risk of uh, re- biochemical recurrence so they were randomized to get adjuvant radiotherapy so straight up radiotherapy before the PSA starts rising or to wait until the PSA rises and then get early salvage radiotherapy so the three trials read out and a meta-analysis and a great editorial from Daria Tilke all read out in the one week and it was a great privilege to be able to welcome uh, one of the PIs on on those trials, uh, Andrew Kneebone who's a radio radiation oncologist from Sydney, who ran the RAVES trial, a multi-centre trial from Australia, uh, which I personally think is the best of the trials for answering the question, actually, for various reasons. Absolutely. Uh, and he was very refreshing, wasn't yeah. he? <laughs> and he's a great character, so it's a great listen. But let me tell you, that is the single most listened to podcast on GUcast this year. There you go. It doesn't surprise me. Thousands I, I, you and know, thousands of uh, listens, yeah. 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 And uh, so I think that it, it struck a chord, and he was a very popular guest. And we talked about the primary endpoint, which was very important because it does change practice. It, and essentially uh, what it showed is that early salvage radiotherapy is just as good as adjuvant radiotherapy for reducing biochemical uh, recurrence in the future. So that therefore means that these patients with you know T3 disease, positive margins, but undetectable PSA can be safely watched uh, until if and when they're their PSA does get up. Uh, in other words, you don't have to radiate everybody because guess what? Half those patients, the trials showed, do not get biochemical recurrence. So you're over-treating half the patients. So That's right. the oncological endpoint was very clear. But the other interesting endpoint that we spoke a lot to him about was um, GU toxicity. And uh, I'll just play you the clip because he's got a great turn of phrase, hasn't he? <laughs> Um, you know, we all as review. Oh, that's not him. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, and it is a real dog's breakfast trying to work out toxicity, um, which is the radiotherapy component, which is surgery. And surgical toxicity improves over time. He's very easy to listen to. It. That was a dog's <laughs> breakfast. But ultimately what it showed was that uh, in those patients who had salvage radiotherapy, their GU toxicity was much lower than those patients who had adjuvant radiotherapy, mostly because, of course, the adjuvant patients were getting the radiotherapy within three or four months, right. whereas the salvage patients were usually waiting a couple of years. So the pelvic floor had settled down. Helped. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the most listened to podcast and yeah. a really big practice-changing trial. Well done to the RAISE team and everyone at ANZUP and TROG uh, who ran that. Fantastic, yeah. I mean, and it got a lot of attention on social media, uh, didn't it? Um, you know, it's, it's quite compelling evidence that a randomised control trial puts out. It did. So we're nearly there. There were the main areas we wanted to talk about. There were a few last things you wanted to uh, highlight, Renu, weren't there, before we uh, signed off for the year? 
Yeah, I mean, one of the other great things that we did was our collaboration with Euro Today and the Prostate Cancer Foundation. We cross-posted a few um, uh, webinars and, and uh, I guess, podcasts. That, yeah, that we did, yeah. And Euro Today, who we've always admired, uh, Gina and Alicia Morgans and Chuck Ryan yeah. and all the people who run that, um, uh, do a great job. But they reached out to us. They wanted to interview us on some of the stuff we'd presented this year on Pro-PSMA and uh, the lutetium stuff we presented. And then we cross-posted and they really liked that idea. So yeah. we enjoy working with them. And the PCF, the Prostate Cancer Foundation, in the US, Howard Sewell and company have, you know, we have a really strong relationship with them through our interest in uh, PSMA uh, imaging and theranostics. And in fact, that was another thing that happened this year, despite circumstances, as we we opened our PCF um, uh, prostate cancer imaging and theranostics uh, center of excellence, the Prostate Project, prostate. Uh, virtual launch instead of Howard and Co coming to us, but. We, we as, as part of that, we, we worked with the PCF to um, uh, do a couple of large webinars, uh, which Michael Hoffman put together on PSMA imaging and on Theranostics. And again, these were cross-posted on GUcast. And it's a we good do thing because the webinars often occurred at, what, 5 a.m.? <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. So uh, that was that was Global useful. webinars, we found yeah, that. Actually, we, we've sat in this room at strange hours. That was yeah. another thing this year, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And um, the, other, the other thing that uh, I enjoyed, I and mean, we all already do this, is our strong collaboration with nuclear medicine. Um, they're, a, they're a significant part of our GU team here at Peter Mac and, and we've gotten to know uh, a few more because we, we had that great podcast after the EANM conference. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we, we do often champion, we do often shout it from the rooftops that working with nuclear medicine as urologists and radiation oncologists is a very, very enjoyable part of what we do here. And we did we did celebrate that, didn't we? But yeah, that was a great podcast a couple of months ago with Stefano Fanti and Irene Berger and Michael Hoffman, where we talked about the EANM, the European Association of Nuclear Medicine, which is the best uh, nuclear medicine meeting in the world. And, and now, guess what? That's such a key part of prostate cancer that we want to see urologists and radiation oncologists uh, all looking at that. Absolutely. So we have a long list of people to thank, don't yeah. we? Yeah, so I why mean, don't you do our, that? Our regulars that, who have been fantastic, and, and we've already mentioned Nathan Lorenschak, but, you know, he's always such a delightful addition to our studio. Um, we always enjoy the podcast that we do with him, so thank you so much, uh, Nathan. Dan Moon, one of our colleagues, has joined us a few times in the studio, so thanks very much, Dan. Michael Hoffman, of course, um, almost part of the Geocast uh, uh studio really a part of the furniture actually um he's joined us for many including our uh, pilot podcast yeah and and uh, he's such a great colleague and a great collaborator but he's it's been a big year for him leading all this really really important Absolutely. work global stuff so yeah. it's been good that he's come in and he's even come in early in the morning well sometimes <laughs> <laughs> he's getting used to the surgical yeah, time. surgical time so that's yeah. always a challenge when we say it's a 5 a.m podcast uh, michael come on in we'll buy you coffee uh, ben Tran has been fantastic uh, during our podcast. Um, he's our resident uh, Father Christmas here, so that's <laughs> another hat that he can add. Uh, he's a regular podcaster. He literally dresses up as Santa Claus, doesn't he? His, he, does. he, he leads our GU medical oncology uh, team here and trials team, but he's been great fun this year. Absolutely. Uh, Professor Aaron Azad uh, has been a valuable uh, recurring, recurring guest uh, on GU cast, so thank you very much, Arun. And uh, Professor Shankar Shiva. Uh, yeah. has also been fantastic uh, and you know we love working with our radiation oncologists and we've always enjoyed having Shankar on the on the podcast. Yeah of course he's a very well-known radiation oncologist and leads some very interesting stuff in stereotactic radiotherapy but that was a really good one we had back in April actually now I remember we had uh, we talked about sabre and prostate cancer with um, uh, Alison Tree from the Marsden and Pete Ost uh, from Ghent and Shankar so that was a very enjoyable great, yeah. wander into the world of um, uh, stereotactic radiotherapy wasn't it? And 
What about the patients? We had a few patients. Oh, we've, we can't end this podcast without mentioning Alan White, um, who really has, has, has been probably on three or four uh, podcasts. Um, he's been on a few patient-directed ones, such as preparing for prostatectomy and uh, dealing with the post-prostatectomy complications. He was there with us for our Navigate trial uh, podcast. Um, Alan's just been such a great advocate um, uh, for, for us and, and for Peter Mac, and uh, he really is there's a valuable source of information for many patients. Thank you, Alan. And Fiona, his uh, wife, came in one time as well, didn't That's she? That's right. I, I, rem- I remember he forgot. Was it their anniversary date that, that he That's got right. wrong? Yeah, we didn't edit that one out. We <laughs> left it there in perpetuity. <laughs> we did. Uh, and to a, a few other patients who anonymously have made comments uh, into the into the podcast as well. Thank you all. You've been very valuable contributors. So looking forward, um, it's it's New Year's Eve uh, here in Melbourne 2020. You know, it's actually terrible having had a, a two-month run over 60 days when we had zero new cases, zero community-acquired cases, having had a very difficult July, August, September. Uh, all of a sudden, yesterday, the whole city you could feel was deflated when three positive uh, locally-acquired cases popped up and everyone's texting each other. So so and, and end of the year is kind of a sobering reminder we're not quite out of this yet, even here in Australia, are we? That's right. I think we can expect these uh, these clusters to pop up and we've, we've really got to try and... Um, Try and be careful until, you know, uh, I, I guess there is no real until. I mean, when the vac- vaccination program starts uh, going here in Australia, um, it will it will really, you know, change things. But this really has changed the way we live and work. Yeah, it has done. But there are things to look forward to. So it's only in the last month, I suppose, we can say vaccines are now here. They're coming. They appear to be quite effective. So hopefully as they roll out around the world, we can look forward to a change in, in the way in which we have been carrying on our lives uh, that we've had to do in 2020. Hopefully there'll be some some gradual easing of, of those constraints we've had on our lives uh, in 2021. And what about GUcast? Well, I think we'll stay going, won't we? Of course, it's quite <laughs> enjoyable. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's been great getting getting across conference highlights, the various academic highlights, bringing the hot off the news, uh, hot off the press news, such as the FDA approval for PSMA PET in the US. Um, but hopefully, once uh, things start to change and travel becomes a, a little bit more common, uh, we can have some more in studio guests. Yeah, and maybe even get to a physical meeting. You know? Yeah, we, we always like the idea that if we did get to the EAU or AUA or whatever, SIU, whatever it might be, that we could actually, you know, do a podcast over there. It's That's easy right. to do. We can yeah. get some audio straight off the, the podium from somebody and have a, a chat with key opinion leaders. But I'm not getting my hopes up that that will actually happen in 2021. But, yeah. but Remember Oliver Sartor saying um, that the virtual conferences are educational, but they're not as much fun. Yeah, he was very honest, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, and uh, we, we've, we've missed seeing everyone in person, of course, all the people we enjoy working with around the world. But it has been nice through the podcast to, uh, to, to be able to speak to them and see them on zoom and have at least have some interaction so we'll do more of that next year as well um, and send us your suggestions as, as i said at the opening we really enjoy hearing uh, suggestions from our listeners uh, out there and we hope to speak to a few more listeners next year actually as well the people who we know are out there listening to us and we would love to have you on and chat about whatever it is you want to chat about so just drop us a line if you want to do that we would love to have you on next year Absolutely. And to all our listeners and supporters, thank you so much uh, for supporting us throughout the year. Happy New Year to you, Declan. Uh, and you. we wish all our listeners a very happy and safe New Year and, uh, and hopefully good things to come in 2021. For sure. Lots to look forward to. And we'll be back with you early in January with another GU cast. We're continuing our summer series that we're running with Prospect. Um, we've got two more episodes of that focusing on prostate cancer hot topics coming in January and February, plus regular GU casts coming along the way with all the usual stuff. Happy New Year, everyone, and take care.